Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, it is Tuesday. The Packers-Vikings game is in the rearview mirror, but it hasn't quite disappeared yet because for anybody who thought that the NFL might come out and say, well, you know, that play by Clay Matthews, that wasn't exactly what we had in mind in terms of roughing the passer. Well, it turns out it's exactly what the NFL had in mind for roughing the passer because that play, as well as the one by Eric, the hit by Eric Kendricks on Aaron Rodgers at the end of the first half, which was just as questionable, are both being used now by the NFL as examples on tape that they are distributing to teams around the league to say this is what you are not supposed to do when you hit the quarterback. I don't know about you, but I was floored when I saw that. Yeah. Um, this reminds me of the old line my dad used to tell me when I was a kid, which was, don't confuse the confused. Uh, I, it was really funny, Mike. Uh, you and I both obviously do the inbox. I, I reference it frequently. I don't know what it was like for Vic uh, in 2012 after the fail Mary, but I mean the amount of comments and questions and, and hot takes that people have been submitting, yeah. it's blown me away. Uh, I, I, I'd guess that I probably got through maybe a quarter of the total submissions for the for the edition that we did on Tuesday morning. Yeah, the inbox is overflowing. <laughs> and the only <laughs> understandably thi- so. Yeah, the only thing that I keep coming back to is uh, how the NFL has such a stringent view of this. Uh, Al Riveron, the league office, what they believe is uh, roughing the passer. But then you have Dean Blandino, who I think you would admit was probably the first of the I don't want to call him celebrity officials, but I mean. He was the the focal point of this thing for a while when he was the head of officiating. Right. He has an entirely different opinion uh, of, of and Mike Pereira as well, Pereira. who was who was the Dean Blandino before Blandino took over. So, so my issue here isn't even with the call anymore. It's with the fact that you have all these guys who have held the office <laughs> of the the head of officiating, and there isn't a consensus, and that concerns me. Yeah, it it is, and. I, I don't know, Wes. To me, what, what I have a problem with, I think, in trying to break this down into the, into the simplest terms, sure. what I have a problem with is the way anybody who is teaching junior high football and kids are putting on pads for the same time, if you are coaching how to tackle a ball carrier, you wrap up, you have to get their legs off the ground to make sure you get them on the ground. Now, obviously there are things that you can do within that that would be considered unnecessary roughness. There are ways in which you can rough up a player that is not necessary. But what Eric Kendricks and Clay Matthews did, if it's not against the quarterback, it is a form tackle. Right. That is exactly how you're supposed to teach and coach the game. So, and I understand quarterbacks need to be treated differently for the sake of the league and the television ratings and the competitiveness and everything else about that. But this is going a little bit too far because yeah. because what those guys did in that Packers Vikings game, if they do that, if they do that against any other player carrying the football, that is a four-star A-plus tackle because that is exactly how you're supposed to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was really uh, pleased that Mike McCarthy had mentioned uh, Eric Kendricks, too, and his 
I guess, unnecessary roughness penalty on Aaron Rodgers because you and I have been saying this since game day. It wasn't just the Matthews play. It was the Kendricks one as well that was yep. pretty questionable. Yep. Uh, and, and I think it creates, you know, sort of this confusion, this uh, I, I, it's just an air of uncertainty that you do not want to have when you're trying to play as fast as possible, as clean as possible, but trying to play the game fast. I, the, the part I'm struggling with the most right now as we get into now week three mm-hmm. and we move forward is that, and I still at this point in time have not seen the officiating video. I'm very interested. The league sends it out. It's available to the media. I'm really interested to watch it because this is how, this isn't a precedent for week two. This is the precedent for the rest of the season. Absolutely. And how this thing's going to be called. And uh, for a, for a, pass rusher to be in a spot right now that they have so many different thoughts going through their head when traditionally it was just getting the quarterback Mike McCarthy put it as well as I think you can put it you want to protect the quarterback everybody's on board with protecting the quarterback that's a necessity for the league but you also don't want to create a comparative competitive disadvantage right uh for the defense and I don't know Mike but that kind of what this smells like right now. Yeah, and as McCarthy suggested, not all the variables are being taken into account right. here because, you know, he even said when when a quarterback is throwing a ball, especially throwing a deep ball, as in the case with, with Cousins on the, the pass that Jair Alexander intercepted, you know, there's a lot of force, there's a lot of momentum of the quarterback's body. Well, the, you know, he's going to be a little lighter on his feet at that point. And then if contact happens, yeah, his feet are going to be off the ground. But that doesn't mean that the guy who's hitting him is trying to lift and drive him right. into the ground. That's just that's sort of what naturally happens in the flow of these athletes doing what they do and trying to do their job. So as McCarthy said, and I agree with you, I thought he put it very succinctly and very clearly there are, there are some variables that aren't being considered here in the application of this, and the league needs to get to the bottom of it and needs to provide some kind of clarity because otherwise, and I don't mean to take this to the absurd extreme, but otherwise I don't know what you tell a defensive player to do when he gets to the quarterback aside then from wrap your arms around him in a bear hug, right. hold him up, and wait for the official to blow the whistle right. because that is the only way you can guarantee yourself that you're not going to be called for roughing or get a penalty or get a fine or whatever else goes along with it. Um, and, and, and hey, these, these players hate it when those flags come out. They hate it when their pocketbooks get hit for this kind of stuff. And uh, um, I'm not sure what they're going to do and how they go forward from here. It's very interesting, Mike, because as I went back and watched the game, there basically is one technique right now that appears to be Fully legal, no question about it when it comes to sacking the quarterback. And we saw it on both sides of the ball in that game, which is kind of just bulldozing over the quarterback and the quarterback basically turtling up. Yeah, That's kind of what happened on the Kenny Clark one, and it's what happened on a couple of the Aaron Rodgers ones when he wasn't able to escape the pocket. Right. The the sack, you know, the, the defender basically goes over the top of the, the quarterback. The quarterback turtles up, and, and that's a sack. If, if it's not that, I mean, there's so – you can't hit him in the head. You can't hit him too low in the legs – and now we're talking about the core of the body where if you're putting your head down to attack the quarterback in a clean fashion, moving your head to the side, you don't know what he's doing with that football. I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, and, and that's what Mike Daniels ran into because he gets right in there. He's still got a blocker working on him, but he, he gets enough of an escape to possibly get to Cousins. But then Cousins pump fakes with the ball, and Daniels thinks the ball is gone. I can't take this guy and throw him on the ground right. because I'm going to get a penalty and a fine and everything else. Well, then Cousins still has the ball, avoids a 10-yard loss, and gets back to the line of scrimmage. That's not football either. Right. That's that's not how this is supposed to go. So I know we're going to be talking about this, I think, for for a long time, all season long, yes. because there are going to continue to be plays that come up. And the more these plays occur in the fourth quarter of close games, and we all know how many close games there are in this league, it's going to continue to be a discussion. Well, and here's the other factor of this, too. The NFL is making an example of Clay Matthews. This week on Friday, the NFL will announce or, or reporters will start announcing fines. Mm-hmm. If Clay Matthews gets fined and if they're making it a point of emphasis, you can kind of you know connect the dots. He has the opportunity to appeal that fine. This thing's going to keep having a domino yeah. effect going forward. So, I mean, it's it's not just this game. It's going to be week to week now. I, I saw the other – there was another game across the league that there was a player – I don't know who it is, excuse me, but – a guy got two roughing the passer penalties. Yes, it was a player for New Orleans, and yeah. I can't think of his name at the moment. But, yeah, two roughing the passer penalties, so they basically doubled his fine. And because he's essentially like a league minimum salary right. guy, his f- two fines are larger than his game check. Paycheck. He basically paid the NFL to play a game. Yeah. <laughs> Something's yeah, not least, right about that either. At least I guess you could either. put that on the tax return. But it just, <laughs> yeah, it's a nice I deduction, know. I suppose. But yeah. anyway, well, uh, some quick little sponsor business here, Wes. It is time to enter the Cousin Subs Best Seats in the House promotion. You and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. Enter daily now through December 16 by completing the entry form and submitting for complete rules and eligibility. Go to Packers.com slash best seats, cousin subs, we believe in better. Okay, staying on the topic of quarterbacks for a moment, a little bit of discussion on Monday in the aftermath of the Packers-Vikings game on just how mobile Aaron Rodgers was in this game. Certainly more mobile than I thought he would be, taking off on the third and seven in the first quarter, up the middle, scrambling for the first down. You know, the whole crowd in Lambeau Field kind of collectively holding its breath. But as the game went on, he he got more and more right. mobile. And in fact, when you look at, say, the that pass in the fourth quarter in the end zone to Devontae Adams, the one that Eric Kendricks kind of ripped away and there was that collision in the end zone that might have sealed the game for the Packers, Aaron Rodgers was you know, looked pretty close to the old Aaron Rodgers slipping out, escaping the pocket and throwing the ball on the run. That's hopefully a good sign here for the Packers going forward because he looked like a different quarterback than in the second half against Chicago. Yeah, and Mike McCarthy mentioned too, even seeing him after taking a majority of the reps on Saturday, he looked a lot more uh, mobile. He said he still didn't have anything dialed up for him. There were no designed quarterback runs at all. But he did look a lot better than he did in the second half against Chicago. I thought Lane Taylor, I wrote about this uh, for the website on Monday night, and we, I wrote about it on Inbox on Tuesday morning. Taylor had such a great point when he was talking to the media on Monday and saying there was a lot of a, there was a big benefit to him, you know, squirming out and getting that seven yard pickup for the first down on third down because that showed the Vikings early on that you at least had to account for him. Yeah, maybe he won't be extending plays like he usually does. But you also can't just think, okay, well, we don't need a spy on them. You started to see the spies sneak back up there again. Yep. It kept them a little bit more honest, and that opened things up a little bit more for Rodgers in the passing game. The, the His number one weapon, Mike, is the fact that you don't know what he's going to do on a given play. He can make an adjustment at the line of scrimmage. 
once a play develops, if things break down, he can make plays on the scramble drill. So having his full arsenal, uh, at least being able to showcase some of it, I think that was big for this Vikings game, and barring any setbacks with Washington, Buffalo, every team that comes up on the schedule, they're going to see that tape, and they're going to have to understand that, okay, you know, Aaron Rodgers, while he maybe not isn't 100%, yeah, he's still Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he's not a statue back there in the pocket, and and I agree with you. I agree with Lane Taylor that that was a factor in the game. There's totally. no there's no question about it, and we'll see Aaron Rodgers. He normally talks to the media on Wednesdays during the week, so tomorrow when we hear from him, we will see because I think the first question, or unless people are going to ask about the roughing the passer <laughs> stuff, but one of the first questions he will get, I think, is okay. It's Wednesday. How do you feel this Wednesday right. compared to last Wednesday when you're three days removed from the game? Because if he's feeling if he's feeling better week to week as as he goes through this, we know that'll be a positive sign for him to to get through this and and you know maybe whatever after getting the week off at the bye in the middle of October, you know then maybe the the real old Aaron Rodgers will be will be back to full strength after that. We'll see. Yeah, we have to see, and obviously things can change week to week. Uh, certainly, the Packers are hoping that he can continue to make progress throughout this whole uh, process and yeah. not have any setbacks. But as Lane Taylor also mentioned, you know, he's the kind of guy that he's, he doesn't throw caution to the wind. I mean, he knows how to play football and he knows how to play it one way and that's to win and put everything he has on the field. It was a commendable performance. I know Geronimo Allison, a number of guys really, you know, praised him for, for what he put out on the field. The, uh, both Taylor and McCarthy called him a warrior in separate, uh, separate interviews. So uh, it, it is amazing. I, I think when you look at what he put himself through in 16, in 14 with the lower body injuries, the soft tissue injuries last year, coming back on the early side of that timeline with the shoulder, uh, Rodgers wants to do what he has to do to win. Yeah. And this is another you know example of it. Yeah, well, we promised on yesterday's show because we did not really get to our yeah. uh, glance around the league with everything that had happened in that 29-29 tie against the Vikings. But we did touch on the fact that only two teams in the NFC right now at 2-0 and after two games. The Los Angeles Rams, a playoff team from a year ago, defending division champions in the NFC West. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the Harvard grad Ryan Fitzpatrick lighting things up. I think right now, based statistically, if you were to say, okay, who is the MVP of the NFL through the first two weeks, it'd be a toss-up between Patrick Mahomes from Kansas City and Ryan Fitzpatrick, the quarterback from the Buccaneers. And I don't know if before the regular season started, if anybody thought those two would be in the MVP conversation here in the middle of September. You don't know. I mean, no, nobody <laughs> thought that. I, I got a kick out of one thing I saw on social media. They did a Venn diagram of who's going to be the MVP, and it was Ryan Fitz and then Patrick, and then they had the, the two circles going over each other and then it merging into Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it, it is <laughs> amazing. It's, it's amazing what Mahomes has done, how efficient he's been. I think he has, what, a 143 passer rating right now? Yeah, it's something for, off for the Kansas charts. City. Yeah. And, and Fitzpatrick, uh, here's the thing about Fitzpatrick. This isn't a shocker because he's had big games. It, Buffalo Bills uh, with Chan Gailey there at the late 2000s, uh, early 2010s, they had some potent offenses, but turnovers were an issue. I think that's going to be the big thing for Fitzpatrick is being able to limit those because mm -hmm. everybody knows he can throw the football. He has a heck of an arm. He's as smart as they come at the position. Right. So to have them be able to have this success and beat the defending Super Bowl champions, uh, obviously it puts them in the driver's seat right now in what has always been a very competitive uh, NFC South. Yeah, well, nobody in the NFC North is 2-0. Packers and Vikings at 1-0-1. 
We see the Chicago Bears move up to 1-1 one one with their Monday night victory over the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle takes another one on the chin. They fall to 0-2. And, and um, kind of, Wes, the same old story we've been talking about with Seattle for the last few years now, and that is uh, they have not been able to fix that offensive line. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a grab bag back there with Russell Wilson as to whether he has, will have any time to throw, whether he can get away and make plays on the run. And all that the Bears defense, you know, kind of swallowed him up, and it wasn't until the fourth quarter, you know, Wilson got some things going, and and then in the in the desperation to come back, he throws a pick six that that seals the game for Chicago's defense. Yeah, you could just see uh, he, Russell Wilson is he, he, the NFL quarterback has to lift his team. It, it comes with the job description. Yep. Uh, but it just seems like every year we're seeing Wilson have to shoulder a little bit more. Uh, and, and you've seen a little bit of an erosion of the defense. Uh, their running game in the post-Marshawn Lynch era has not really been overly effective. Uh, and certainly trying to you know get their weapons figured out. They, they put a big investment into uh, Lockett, Tyler Lockett, this offseason, trying to find ways to integrate him into the offense. But ultimately it is about the protection, and it is about giving Russell Wilson the time he needs to throw because he is a very unique quarterback. It, it makes a unique requirement of that offensive front. They've not been able to do it. Credit to the Chicago Bears, though. Uh, six sacks for Vic Fangio's defense. A lot of pressure yep. on Wilson. We both know how difficult he is to sack. Getting six sacks against him, that's not an easy accomplishment. And the the number one thought I that went through my head as I saw some of the clips of this game was that I still, at the end of the day, think the Packers did the right thing for themselves as an organization. I think the Bears and Ryan Pace did the best, you know, made the best decision possible for their team. I think the outlier right now is the Raiders and seeing, you know, when you have a talent that that's that unique, that good, that's, it's tough to give those up in the prime of their career. They yeah. did that. And now they're going to have to deal with the after effects of it. They're zero and two now going into week three. Yeah. And the rest the rest of the NFC North is going to have to deal with yeah. Khalil Mack <laughs> twice a year. Now the Packers, I have one of those two out of the way, but I'll say this about the bears. What, what I'm curious to see because they're obviously feeling their way with Matt Nagy's offense, a lot of the the misdirection. At sometimes it looks like a college offense, and I don't mean that as an insult. No, I'm saying it, yeah. it, it it looks like just just all the all the, the 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 trickery in some ways with the motion and the misdirection and the read option stuff and all that. It it looks like a college offense out there. What I'm wondering is at what point are they going to cut Mitch Trubisky loose and let him attack down the field because. Right. The, what I've seen from the Bears offense, and I realize it's only two games, and they're making their way here with the new coaching staff and the new offense, but you can't play offense like that for 16 games in the NFL and expect to succeed because you have to make plays down the field. Yeah. Trubisky hasn't done it yet, and I'm not saying he can't. No, um, right. But whether or not he does, I think, is what's going to define Chicago's offense as this season goes along. Yeah, I thought last year they were pretty conservative with him. He had 6.6 .6 yards per completion. This year it's 5. Four, so it's actually gone down yeah. in the first two weeks of the season. I, I think there's a delicate balance there, especially when you play a quarterback early. You heard Patrick Mahomes talk about what he felt the benefit was. I know John Dorsey was very stringent proponent of it, letting a young quarterback sit. Uh, and I don't think there's a right or wrong way, but Mahomes said, I mean, how much he learned from watching Alex, Alex Smith, Smith, a, a top-level yeah. quarterback in this league that's done it for a long time, and now jumping into the driver's seat, as opposed to Trubisky, where you do have the training wheels off at first, but the question becomes, 
well, when do you take them off? Because they wanted they wanted to sit Trubisky, but Mike Glennon right. just didn't get Absolutely. didn't get the yep. job done, and they they had to pull the plug totally. on it and and throw him in there. So yeah. I mean, their, their plan just didn't work out the way they wanted. So the question is now is is how do you approach this? Because at the end of the day, when you take a quarterback, when you trade up to take a quarterback like they did with <laughs> Trubisky, yeah. you're taking him because of his playmaking ability, and and I think right now they've been very safe with him, and certainly was a game plan that allowed them to beat Seattle, but. As you said, over the course of a 16-game regular season, if you have a young quarterback that you believe in, at some point you have to kind of let you know loosen the reins a little bit. Yeah, and just to touch on the Detroit Lions in the NFC North before we go, they are 0-2 for them, a rough start under new head coach Matt Patricia, and we'll be talking about the Lions uh, soon enough here with the Packers heading to Detroit yeah. in a few weeks. But um, I'll just say this. I watched the highlights, the, the full extended highlights on NFL.com of the Lions game at San Francisco this, uh, this past weekend, and it didn't look good for a while. The Lions were down 30-13 to 13 in the fourth quarter. But I tell you what, Matthew Stafford in the fourth quarter, he just he just becomes a different player. He brought those guys back. He got two touchdowns. They were at 30 to 27. The defense gets a huge interception that they run back all the way into the red zone in the last two minutes where it's looking like they're at least going to tie, if not win the game. But the interception gets called back on a defensive holding penalty. Right. Folks in Detroit just as upset about the officiating as uh, <laughs> as people in Green Bay this week. So I just throw that out there because the Detroit Lions were on the verge of a, a potentially season-turning type of comeback on the road against a pretty decent San Francisco team, and it and it didn't work out. But I guess my point is don't let that 0-2 record fool you. I know they looked bad in Week 1, yeah. but they were a different team in Week 2. No, they were, and I think the San Francisco 49ers are a different team going into this season. They weren't the pushovers that they were throughout most of last year before and even the year before that, uh, you know, before the, the Jimmy Garoppolo era started. Right. Uh, the thing about the Lions is there's pieces there. You can see on Johnson has a lot of talent. At what point do they kind of just dedicate to him as the running back? You know, they've been really careful with him the first couple weeks. I do believe he is the guy to kind of break that 100-yard uh, rushing mark that I think they have in Eclipse. Yeah, whatever in the drought is years. now. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly Matthew Stafford is one of the top of the, the best in the league when it comes to quarterback. My biggest question is do they have enough, you know, guys on defense to take them where they need to go? Because we've seen in this post Kelvin Johnson era what Stafford can do with this offense. He just needs a little help. And in the times in which they've faltered, it's just not being able to get enough of those auxiliary pieces to complement what he's doing in you know, yeah, center. They don't have the defensive front that they had a handful of right. years ago, the Andama Kinsu and and those guys that were really the core of uh, of that defense. They're gone and Matt Patricia's job is to is to put it back together totally. um, and, and and get them back to uh, where they need to be defensively to compete in the NFC North. But with that we are going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's still at Wes Hod. I'm still at Mike Spofford, and the team account is still at Packers. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.